welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm here today with a wonderful guest. It is Matthew Campbell-Lorenza of MTL Design. Now, Matthew is all about art and jewellery, objet d'art, and this combination of using precious stones in your art, Matthew. So what you do is pretty unique, isn't it? Well, I like to think that it's fun and usable. Um, I try to create things that are beautiful that people can use as art as well as use as personal expression. Well, I we're going to learn all about this. Um, so listen, you are, um, you're over in the US at the moment, aren't you? Uh, but you also work internationally. So I think we're going to have a really interesting global conversation about how you... you will domination for you matt isn't it well that's the plan bring out the laser (laughs) excellent excellent right so we're going to start with learning a little bit about you matt if that's okay so give us a bit of background how the hell did you get into the world of fine art and jewelry well i think that when i was 13 actually i started working um so early on i like to make things and my parents decided to buy me a set of woodworking tools skull saws that type of stuff and i started carving duck decoys and and santa clauses which i sold to museums in in kentucky where i was raised um so at 13 around christmas time i actually was making five thousand dollars a week uh so that got the bug that i wanted to do something creative and be an entrepreneur um so I did that, and that was actually what ended up funding my business when I started in Thailand. Um, Sixteen years, uh, six years later, I guess. I'm bad at math. Eight years later. <laughs> so um, I went to school originally for architecture. Um, did interior design, architecture as as my first basis, and then I stumbled upon um, sculpture. And I decided that I was going to switch from architecture since I didn't like math um, and study fine arts. So I switched to fine arts, sculpture major, and graduated. When I graduated, I um, actually had a wonderful opportunity that at the time I thought was morbid. I had somebody who commissioned me to make two sculptures, which were the tombstones, himself and his wife as angels. And they were not dead yet, so they wanted them made and put in the garden until they died, which at a 20-year-old, I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Is this going to be my life? So I switched to jewelry. It's mini sculpture, and um, I've been doing that ever since. Wow. So I, what I want to know, though, did you do the sculptures for their gravestones? Did you actually do the work? Did you pass it by? I passed it by and, you know, looking back on it, it was such a, it was a beautiful gesture of them. They were saying, look, we want you to, to make us and make something that was going to represent them for eternity, which means that they had a huge amount of faith in my abilities. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And I ran away. 
Um, so yeah, I should have done it. I should have done it. But first, first commissions. We might talk a little bit about things that we wish we'd done that we haven't done and things that we did that we wish we hadn't done. So, you know, that's a good that's a good starting point for us, actually. But listen, let me take you back. So 13, you were pretty young when you you almost found your your love, your purpose really young in life. I mean, to, to sort of have a good view of what you want to do at that age and what your, you know, where your passions lie. I know you changed a little bit, but you you really set that path quite early. Was that um was that because the environment you were in, your family, you know, were your parents creative? Were they in in the, you know, in the sort of art sector or, or where did that come from, do you think? No, uh, my father was in strategic planning. Uh, so he did insurance and things along those lines. Uh, my mother um, was had a, a human psychology, um, but she stopped working when I was born. My sister is the oldest. Uh, so when she had me, she decided that we were going to be the focus over her career. Um, so I do think that she instilled very, very young in us that we should do what makes us happy. And obviously creating things made me happy. Um, at this moment, sometimes I like this morning when I'm setting up, I don't know how happy I am, but, um, overall, I think, I think it's good advice. If you have a child, try to let them know that it's okay to do something that they're happy with. Uh, money is secondary. Um, you do have to live. So I do, can't completely take that out of the picture, but, um, yeah. Stick with what makes you happy. You'll excel with that. Mm, yeah, and I think that's that's a brilliant thing, isn't it? To instill a child at that age with confidence as well to follow their dream and and not not get distracted by maybe what society thinks you should do or you know what other people um, think you should do. So I think your your mum's um, you know support and guidance there and and that sort of strong family start you had is obviously done you you know set you up in a good way, right? I would actually go a little bit further in today's um, society with the internet and basically the marketplace becoming global. Um, creative positions in design and art and so forth actually is much easier to get resonance and some traction in the marketplace. So I hope that people will try to get pe their children to go into creative aspects rather than they get, you know, uh, traditional doctor or a lawyer not that those professions are bad we need customers but um you know it would be good to see an explosion of creativity yeah absolutely so so your creativity then matthew where where does it where does it come from where do you find inspiration it's probably a question that you get asked all the time so i i hope it's not too boring for you to answer but it is fascinating for someone who isn't so creative, where do you get such amazing inspiration from? Well, I have been a collector once again, ever since I was young. Um, I come from a family of collectors. We like unique things, art, um, antiques, design. Um, I, from a very young age, my grandparents, my parents, we went to antique shows, garage sales, flea markets, and we always rummaged looking for treasures. Um, as you have been, as you are exposed to different periods of time and different types of art, if you really are like it, you start to subconsciously evolve aspects of each of those designs into your subconscious. And I think that I draw a lot of 
my inspiration from that subconscious uh, repertoire library of things that I've seen, been exposed to. Uh, museums are a great source of inspiration, cities. Um, so I think when you look at the designs, a lot of my things are strongly influenced by Renaissance, Gothic, and Art Deco. Um, those being some of my favorite time periods in art history. Um, when you look at the color, I think that that was really inspired by Asia. Uh, when I did before I moved to Asia, were traditionally metal, metallic with stones. Now we have a lot of enable use, a lot of play of color. And I think that that really is coming from a different viewpoint that Asia has installed. Um, when you look at traditional color theory with European American backgrounds, you have people saying what matches and what doesn't match. So if you look at a garden, for example, an English garden might, or Italian garden might be white only with green. Um, when you go to Asia and you go into a Chinese temple or an Asian temple, you have every imaginable color thrown together. Um, and I think that that type of playfulness and lack of fear that the two colors might not match actually translated into my jewelry. So I like to play a lot with color. I don't really care if people don't think they match. They always end up selling. So somebody likes it out there. There is a market for everything. Um, and yeah, inspiration, color, Asia, aesthetic designs, America, Europe. Brilliant. So, so I guess I guess you're like a, a bit like a magpie. You know, you pick up little different bits from different parts of your life journey, your time with family, those early days of sort of rummaging around around you know the bargain the bargain stores looking for those treasures that are hidden, and and then as you say that cultural experience in in Asia is that it's a, it's a really interesting mix, I think. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned that that your you know you 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 have obviously amazing jewelry pieces that can also be objects in people's home, just beautiful things that are their ornaments. So talk about that because I I personally I must say I have never really come across that until we got introduced by our joint friend Nikki Buzzertill. Um, so so yeah, I, I'm just really fascinated because I think that's something that a lot of people would maybe not be aware of. You tend to think it's either that or it's jewellery, but it's not the two combined. Um, so talk us through that uniqueness. I think once again, um, I like to use my lifestyle and my friend's lifestyle as a source of inspiration. And in this instance, you know, when you aren't using your jewelry, jewelry is it's a very, very lonely life for jewelry when it's put in the safe. So the idea that I was, began to develop was, why don't we create something that could be displayed? So when it's not in use as a piece of jewelry, it could be in use as a sculpture or a picture frame or a clock or something else. So um, we have created a line of jeweled objects design items um so you will have a picture frame the earrings are it might be flowers or butterflies that adorn the picture frame and you when you want to go out you pull them off you stick them on when you come back you put them back on the frame um we have little birds we have penguins we have all sorts of things that clip off the pond and i think that it's a playful way to give your jewelry multiple lives um 
I love it. I really love it. Oh my gosh. And I bet lots of people listen are going, oh, that's so cool. I've never even considered that. So yeah, I, I that's amazing. And and listen, Matthew, you you operate, uh, you know, not just in the obviously your background, you know, is is in the US. You were born and bred in the US, but you've lived in Thailand and, and you have, have had your pieces shown in exhibitions all over the world, haven't you? So do you want to just give a bit of a shout out to some of those exhibitions and, and kind of, you know, the reach uh, and the the really the kudos that's, that you've been recognised with as a result of, you know, the art that you create? Well, sure. Um, so right before COVID, I had an exhibition with Gallery Periton, which is a very Fine Arts Gallery um, represents quite a few very international artists. Um, that pop-up happened in the Soho, New York exhibition. Once again, it was ex- showcasing um, jeweled objects, which were mostly insect-related. Uh, we had a, a biomedical uh, story behind it. Um, also had done collaborations with a lot of large companies, Rio Tinto being one of them. Um, where we did a line of jewelry for Chao Tai Phuc. Um, so that was a traveling exhibition that I was actually in China for nine months doing. Um, I created the first fine jewelry collection for Atelier Swarovski. Um, so it was the first fine jewelry using precious stones and gold uh, that Swarovski ever had launched. Um, I have been represented and sold by stores like Harrods, Liberties, Lane Crawford, E.C. Tan, Barney's, uh, Nima Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, Burdock Goodman's. Um, I have sold, I believe, in 31 countries over the course of my um, career. And I'm looking at doing it some more. Um, COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench in a lot of my plans. So a lot of the, for the last, two and a half, three years, my exhibitions have not been very prominent, but I don't think anybody's has. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you, um, when you actually sell your pieces, um, that will often be in private collections, won't it? You know, people that maybe have a real, a real fascination and a love for unique jewellery and objet d'art. Um, so, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure you have to, have the ultimate confidentiality of those clients. But um, do you find that more and more that is where you're, the direction you're going in, in terms of very much niche clients? Or do you think there's a more broader reach for you with, you know, sort of a more of a mainstream, not mainstream, but, you know, a mid-market um, opportunity? Where do you see yourself going? Well, I have been very, I've had, always had a very strong belief that, Luxury isn't necessarily about how much you pay for something, it's about how rare it is, right? So everything that I've ever created has always been very small runs, uh, sometimes, oftentimes one of a kind and various color combinations and so forth. Um, I do have a very mainstream market, so I sell through better department stores. Um, and of course I sell online. I've always kept my price points obtainable. I don't think that people need to overpay for something um i'd rather them use it enjoy it than have them buy it and feel that it has to be kept in a safe um that's kind of the cemetery for me a safe is a, is a bad word if people say oh i keep your jewelry in a safe it's like oh nice to know <laughs> you know i don't i don't like that that um 
thing, which is another reason why the objet is, is something that I'm wanting to develop because the last place I want is the jewelry ending up is in a drawer or a safe. Um, it should be enjoyed and used. Um, as far as a niche market goes, I do have some very, very, very expensive pieces. Um, a lot of those are custom made and expense tends to be due to the use of stones. Uh, there was one piece that used 185 carats of diamonds, uh, largest one being 14 carats as a single stone. Um, you know, pieces like those are definitely for an each customer. Um, it does have a, it did have a very strong story behind it. Uh, inspiration was from Renaissance armor. Um, so pieces like that, I love to do. I like, I like to make them. Uh, it is not, uh, where I want my company to be. Cause I, like I said, I, I do like to see normal people enjoying it. Um, people have many times said, oh, with all these celebrities that you've dressed, who is your favorite person to see? And, and, you know, my response is traditionally, I like to see it on a person walking down the street wearing it because it actually meant that they bought it, right? So I love the idea that the celebrities have used it, um, you know, dressing people like Lady Gaga, Alicia Keys, Taylor Swift. Um, I mean, I, Rihanna, we have a huge list of celebrities, which you can see on my IG. Um, but they borrow it. They're stylists and, and they make requests. We send it to them. They use it for the event, so they return it. The idea that somebody actually went and bought a piece and is enjoying it actually is is equally as satisfying to me as seeing somebody super famous wearing it. Yeah, I love I love that, and I can see you know if anyone's watching this on YouTube or listening listening to the podcast, you know you can see the joy actually. And I think you know your mantra around cherishable, not perishable. I love that as well um, because you're right. You know. You would like to think that every single person, you know, ideally would be able to enjoy beautiful things in their life. You, you, you create unique, beautiful pieces that bring joy. Right. And, you know, I have always been very strong in using good materials, fine materials, precious materials, and keeping it at a price that people can afford because I also want people to cherish it and I don't want them buying crap. Um, so much, so much jewelry. There's so much costume jewelry out there that you buy, you wear it a few times and it falls apart. This is not what the world needs right now. We need, we need things that are real. We need things that will, can be passed down and be used for years. And, you know, when it comes to precious and semi-precious jewelry, I, I filled that niche because I created things that had a, a unusual voice um had a lot of statement a lot of personality and traditionally that is only relegated to costume and i i don't think that that should be where it is i think that people should really be purchasing like i said items that they can pass down to their daughters to their sisters to their whoever they want to give it to but it shouldn't be used once it should be used again and again and again and they should know that the the materials that are being used are consistently going up in value so there is a there is an investment aspect to this as well. It's not like you're buying tin with crystals that in a couple of years will have tarnished, will have fallen apart, and they haven't gone up in value. I mean, crystals are the same price now as they were in the 80s, you know, so. Absolutely. And the, the sustainability, you, you touched on sustainability there and, and longevity as well. How, 
how how important is that? I mean, obviously, you know, being doing the right thing for the environment, sustainability, it's it's critical, isn't it, for all of us? But it sounds like you, when you're creating pieces, you're creating them with the right ethos and values behind that are important to you. And is how how high up on the agenda is sustainability for you then, and the materials you use? Well, sustainability is very important to me. Uh, you know, the majority of our metals are recycled. Um, we do. Um, offer services for custom where we can reset stones, things like that. Um, we would, there's a little bit more documentation with that aspect. So if somebody's watching, they're like, oh great, I'm gonna send all my grandmother's jewels, um, hold off on that. <laughs> but um, we, do offer, we do offer services like that. Um, for me, as well as sustainability, as far as materials go, I think that it's also very important for the human factor to be viewed. Um, we are moving so quickly forward with technologies that are taking away the human element and production. And I think that for me, everything is produced by hand. We don't use computers. We don't use uh, automated uh, systems that, that do the work for us. We actually use good old fashioned humans. Um, and I think that it's very important for people to realize that to make a ring employs such a huge number of people from the people who cut the stones from the people who you know file the mountings cast the metal all of this aspect and I, one of the concerns that i see specifically in craft and um jewelry is that the idea that a machine can do it and a machine can control the cost more efficiently than a human because humans are expensive um i think that 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 desire to save money over maintain craft is eroding very quickly and one of our things that we pride ourselves on is that we employ humans to do everything um and we we you know i we have young people working but i think our average age is probably about 50 to 55. so everybody who's working has been doing this all their life um they grew up doing it they enjoy doing it um and I've, I've been trying to hire more and more of them because the the factories are are moving into automated um systems and like i said there are some benefits to it financially but long term i don't think i think we're going to lose a lot of the the handmade feeling a lot of the um skill that Last time this happened was the Industrial Revolution. We lost all sorts of processes that never came back. We couldn't replace them. A, a computer can't do it. So, I, you know, for me, it's kind of my goal to try to keep that craft alive. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And and where's most of most of your jewelry and objects produced? Is it is it in the states or is it in Asia? Is it across market? So I moved to Thailand in 1998 and I opened workshops, which are, um, those locations have switched. Um, the workshops are still there. So Bangkok, Thailand is where I am predominantly domiciled and my workshops are there. Everything is produced in house. Uh, we do all the sourcing. Um, we select the stones, we oversee cutting of the stones. So with us, everything is, there's a very clear, um, line of production a very clear um tracking system so we know where who did what where it came from um so for people who are concerned with 
you know, slave labor and aspects like that. We're very, very clear about what we do and what we stand for. And we have the ability to show what we do, uh, which I think is becoming becoming more and more important, especially as the world learns about production in various countries. Yeah, I think you're so right. And, and customers, I think consumers are becoming more and more choosy about who they do business with, what, which brands they align themselves with. And I think you're absolutely right. All of those aspects are becoming, for the conscious consumer, um, much more important. And, and actually, you know, the, the core values that you bring as a business leader that permeate throughout your whole organization. And essentially, you're pouring love into that piece, aren't you? You know, because it's touched by human hands and, and they're unique. Every piece is unique. So, you know, I think you're right to, to and there's a value to that. So it's not price, it's value, I think, um, that, that people often confuse the two in my in my experience. But I think I love the I love the fact that you you're you're retaining those, you know, traditional skills, the love, the care, the attention, and actually, hopefully you know, bringing more talented people into your sector, um, you know, so that it continues to thrive and grow. Um, because otherwise you you can end in a, in a situation where, that, as you say, those skills are lost, uh, which would be a crying shame, wouldn't it, really? And, and so, Matthew, I just want to slightly change tack a little bit because, of course, you're incredibly passionate about the creative side of the business and you, you pour a lot of yourself, your heart and soul into that. But you're also an entrepreneur. You're also a businessman. Um, and, and so I'm just interested to see how you balance those two aspects between sort of the more the more commercial, shall we say, financial part of leading the business with the creative side. Um, how does it play out for you? I, you know, in, in this industry, distribution is the number one, number one key. So you can create the most beautiful product, the most the most carefully planned out, most sustainable, most best crafted product. But if you don't have an outlet in to sell it, um, then you're going to fail. So luckily, I have been blessed with good outlets. I have very strong uh, retail partners like Nima Marcus, who who I'm here today with, um, who support and you know promote the brand and give me good outlets uh, where I can I can showcase the merchandise and get in front of customers. I do think the internet's going to help with that distribution, touching back on what I said earlier, that if you have a young person who wants to be creative, they're going to have markets that weren't available to me when I started, um, namely the internet. So I'm hoping that we'll see a lot of creativity explode from that distribution. But I do think that if you're working with humans, humans have a tendency to understand that their job won't be there if your company's not there. So I, I do think that you you can appeal to the common sense factor of people. Um, so, you know, I like to believe that everybody who works with me um, understands that fineness as well. So if we need to increase the speed that we do production, they are aware that if they don't increase it, then, well, we can't produce enough to cover the expenses. Um, I haven't been in a situation where expenses have been so astronomically high that I couldn't make a decent profit. I do think I have felt since COVID and with inflation and, and travel restrictions and stuff like that, I, I have seen that cut more into my profits than actual people. Humans, humans tend, like I said, tend to be 
relatively rational about understanding what they have to do in order to make everything work. Um, and if you're a company owner and you're trying to balance that with your staff, you just have to let them know, you know, this is our cost. You know, the idea that this ring is selling for thousands of dollars doesn't mean that that thousand of dollars is completely going in my pocket. You know, they, if they understand the breakdown of the costs associated, then most of the time, I think that they help you balance that. Um, I do believe that when you design something, you don't want to design something that's already in the marketplace. Market research is very important. If somebody's doing it already, you don't need to be doing it also. Um, I think that's a tendency that, especially in fashion and jewelry, that happens where people are like, oh my gosh, this is selling over here. We're going to copy it and make it. It, it destroys the market. and and, and Nobody has anything. The person copying doesn't have it and the originator of the thought doesn't have it. So I always want people, if they're going to start out in something, a good businessman understands their niche. They develop that niche and they run with that niche. Um, and that enables them to have a little bit higher profits because they have less competition. Um, so I think that balancing business with creativity the more creative you are, the better your business is going to be as long as the stuff is wearable. You know, you can't create something that's not wearable. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And, and you know, you're, you're absolutely spot on because I think how you differentiate yourself, how do you stand out from the crowd? Why should someone part with their hard-earned money um, to buy one of your pieces versus somebody else's? And and I think that that exclusive element, that scarcity um, about it definitely, definitely puts any business, regardless of sector, in a different place. Because otherwise, you're just competing on price. And that's a horrible place to be. <laughs> and your margin and your margins just keep shrinking. Uh, you know, if you're making the same product as them, they, they have to put on sale, which that means you have to put on sale, which that means they have to put on sale more. And there's nothing left. So try to be unique. Yeah, there's a great book actually by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. I don't know if, you, if you've kind of read that, but but it's all around having pur purpose to your business and, and actually being clear on why sh someone should engage with you and buy your services and products. And, and it's actually more appealing to the emotional uh, connection to a brand and to, to, a, to a, an entrepreneur like yourself, as opposed to, you know, suppose manipulating the client to buy through price reductions or xyz because that's only really gonna you end up on a wheel where you just can't stop that it's like a drug you have to always behave that way whereas if you what you have is unique and different and you're really clear on your reason why and and, and why someone benefits from that in a unique way much better position to be in 100 in business so i love that combination and that perspective and and you know matthew you were talking earlier about some of your famous clients that you've you know you've also engaged which is great in terms of raising the brand isn't it and, and sort of you know the the kudos that comes with that would you have direct engagement with you know with the likes of lady gaga rihanna or is it very much people on their team that they would speak to to your guys with well, it's a mix. Predominantly, it's a it's a member of the team, just because the 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 talent is traditionally busy doing other things. Um, so, members of teams like their stylists and that type of stuff will oftentimes contact us. Um, in the end, it is the talent who makes the decision whether they want to wear that ring or not. Um, 
I have had interactions with like Blake Lively. I met Rihanna early on. She was doing her shoot for GQ right when she launched Umbrella. And I think that was the only time I got to meet her. Um, but yeah, you, you, you sometimes get to go to the dressing. Sometimes you get to go to an event and you meet them. And that's about it. Um, <laughs> so it's not as glamorous as it all seems. <laughs> well, it, well, it, 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 it's fun. I mean, it's fun to see your stuff in, in the spotlights. Um, I do think that in Asia, I'm doing a lot with Asian celebrities and they tend to be a little bit more hands-on. The idea of having a stylist take that off their plate hasn't necessarily um, permeated as strong through the industry in Asia, um, or at least not in Thailand. So they often are saying, I want to choose what I wear. You know, of course I'll take suggestions and there's people running around and getting gowns, but they, they, they're more involved with choosing things. Um, but they also like to choose everything on, on their social media. So they're like, look at these earrings, you know, which is great, great exposure for, for brands like me. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked earlier about the power of the internet and social media, et cetera. Has that, has that changed your business significantly then over over the time, Matt? Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I can see opportunity and I can see business being made stronger with it. Um, unfortunately, when I was really, really involved in getting a lot of exposure with celebrities and stuff like that, the internet wasn't up to muster per se. Like Facebook and IG wasn't was in its infancy. Um, it's now taking this long i'm i will be doing more travel rather than travel to sell i'm going to be doing travel for networking um to kind of rekindle some of the relationships that i had in the past and work once again with a lot of the the celebrity stylists and stuff like that um i do think that when rihanna wore the piece five years ago six years ago we didn't get the exposure that we would get now I think that that's I think that's a main difference. It's just more more people are used to using it. I think you have an entire generation who's completely connected to it. I mean, they, I don't even know if some of the people ever get off their phones. Um, so, you know, this this is a new opportunity, and it's 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 a it's just another example of how how um, the industry is morphing into something different from on your your end on your end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I expect we'll see a lot more um, from you on Instagram and all the social media channels as well as everything you do actually physically in person and, you know, in 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 uh, the real world, shall we say, as well as in the world of social media, right? Right. Well, I have to get used to being on camera. I don't, I'm kind of, I don't like it. I, and I don't think, oh, I'm going to take a picture of me eating my noodles, you know. Um, it It doesn't, it's it's foreign to me it's it's very very alien um since i've been traveling in the u.s for one month i've had nine shows uh three of them were charity oriented and i didn't take any pictures <laughs> so i've been to four four black tie galas not one picture so uh you know nikki's probably gonna start yelling at me on this <laughs> i think nikki is definitely gonna start yelling at you absolutely but um listen let's talk a little bit about some of the events that you've got coming up uh, matt because you've got some exciting events coming up in november this episode is going to be out really soon actually because i really wanted to take the opportunity to get it out and live as soon as we could 
Uh, so the timing is great for you to be able to give a bit of a shout out for the, some of the things that are coming up, right, in the next sort of month or so. Yeah. So um, I will, of course, be doing my personal appearances at various retailers. Um, right now I'm in Miami at um, Nima Marcus. I'll be traveling to Atlanta, Northbrook, Tyson's, uh, all doing personal appearances where the meet and greet, you get to come and see new collections. So if you are interested in seeing it, Nemo Marcus is a good option. Um, for New York, I'm going to be spending most of the month of November in New York. Uh, I will be participating with Salon at Armory, which is um, one of the premier design and antique shows in the United States. Um, it's a juried show and my large object um, will be on display there. Um, right after that, I'll be an official show of New York Jewelry Week, which is, um, it's like Fashion Week for the jewelry industry. It, the goal is to expose and give more voice to the craft of jewelry and the sustainability of the craft, as well as um, the people who work in it. So I will have an exhibition of my objet that turned into jewelry um, at a gallery called Maison Gerard, which is uh, in the village. And that will be on display for, I think, 14 days. So, and I'll be there also. So lots of fun possibility for holiday shopping if people are there yet, if they're already thinking about the holidays. Excellent. No, I love that. And do you do very much in the UK, uh, Matt? Because, I mean, the podcast is listened to in, gosh, 120 countries, I think, now worldwide, but obviously a big following in the UK as well. Do you come to the UK and Europe very much? Um, actually, I used to be, I, I was sold at Herod's Liberties and um, I had some family issues, which meant that I couldn't maintain everything so unfortunately the europe i closed um i am in the process of rekindling some of those relationships and hopefully i'll be there soon um but you know if there's anybody listening this to this who has an interesting gallery or jewelry shop or department store let me know you know i'm always looking for outlets That'd be great, actually, because I, honestly, I mean, London in particular is, you know, again, like New York, it's such an amazing city, isn't it? So it'd be fabulous to have you back here in the, you know, in the capital um, of the yeah. UK. Yeah, and I, I, I miss the UK. I miss it. So <laughs> I have a lot of good friends there. Excellent. So we could meet up. We could meet up for a nice dinner and a bottle of wine or something, or you know, whatever. A Two bottles. Lovely. Well, yeah, at least <laughs> don't, don't 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 tell Nikki. It's okay. It's allowed. <laughs> But she, she, she already knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but that would be great actually. So it's an exciting future for you then, really, because you've got the you know the business is doing ex exceptionally well. What you you know what you create is genuinely beautiful and unique, and and clearly you know anyone from the rich and famous to royalty to your you know your average person on the street is gaining such joy from what you do. So I absolutely love that, but. I really also like the fact that you're ambitious and you're looking to grow and expand further globally. And, you know, I really look forward to seeing you in the UK. I think that'll be amazing, actually. So that's fabulous. So, so you know, in terms of kind of, you know, your own personal style and designers or artists that you really like, anyone that you would sort of give a particular shout out to or, you know, that you think is up and coming that people should be watching out for? What, what are your top tips in the world of art and fashion? 
jewelry, of course. I mean, to be honest with you, I see so many things that I like, and I get inspired by so many different people. Um, it's really hard, difficult for me to pinpoint things. I have a tendency to get inspired more by movements or by um, specific types of artwork. I love tribal arts, uh, so African, Native American uh, pieces are right now very intriguing to me. I, I haven't figured out why, but um, I've been spending a lot of time looking at them. Um, yeah, I don't, I really don't have one person in mind. I have people who are dead. Like I love Louise Nevelson, I, um, Henry Moore. These are people who had influence on, on some of my design aesthetics. Um, uh, Christopher Dresser for design, um, William Morris. There's there's a bunch of them, um, but I don't know that any of them are more important in my mind or not because I don't I I can get completely enamored with it, and then it kind of goes into my subconscious and I don't know when it's pulled on, but it's there. It's definitely there. Like having a filing cabinet in your brain of all those amazing ideas that you just draw upon when when they appear at the right time, yeah, and uh, the no, I think you're right. There's there's fabulously creative people and designers and artists all over the place. And it's very often you take a little bit from each and it's not necessarily one, one or another. Um, but no, that's interesting to hear. So in terms of when you look back over your illustrious career, um, <laughs> which has been very impressive, um, Matt, that's for sure. Can you think of the best advice that you've been given over the years, either personally or in business or, you know, on the creative side? Well, I think on the creative side, never be afraid to make something that you have a strong feeling will turn out beautiful. Um, like I said, there's a market for everything now. Um, I, I think there always has been a market for everything, but I think that that marketplace has gotten bigger with online. Uh, when it comes to people, never burn bridges. Um, even if it makes you feel good to, to tell them off, don't do it. Um, it always comes back and bites you. Um, and people, you know, they have long memories. So always try to keep calm. Uh, and like I said, never burn bridges. Um, oftentimes, things that you see may actually not be what's actually happening. So that's another reason not to do it. Um, oftentimes, when you're dealing with department stores or you're dealing with outlets, the person who is the person talking to you is not really the person making the decision to the degree. So they might love you and love your work, um, but not be able to stock it at that time um so don't ever get mad at buyers they recycle throughout the system so if they're not at this store they're going to be at that store in the next few years so like i said don't burn the bridges um and just try to try to create something that's unique to you that you can put your stamp on yeah, that, that's, that's brilliant advice that you've received over the years. And, and obviously, it's something that I think um, we probably all get better at as we get a little bit older and wiser, <laughs> as opposed to young, our younger selves that may be a little bit more hot-headed. Uh, that's certainly uh, how I would see myself as well. So no, that's really good advice. And can you think of any um, 
sort of less positive advice that you've been given over the years or maybe bad advice that didn't work out so well or advice that maybe you actually thought at the time, you know, I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to follow my own instincts and I'm not going to follow that piece of advice. And we're glad that you ignored them. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, there have been times where people were like, oh, don't listen to them. You, you know better. And, you know, when people are offering you help, listen to the help and 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 don't be afraid that you the help is is too expensive or or what have you so um I'm trying to figure out how to put this so don't overvalue your own opinion when it comes to experience if you are new at something somebody has a better more experience and I had taken advice from people saying, oh no, that's the old school. They don't know what they're talking about. But if I had listened to them, they would have they would have exponentially expanded my company. And though, you know, there was there was money involved in, in the transaction, whether uh, fees or whatever, the fees that I would have paid were minuscule for the returns that I would have gotten. So don't overvalue in business. Like if it's a creative decision on your part. Trust your gut. But when it comes to business and things, artists aren't the best of business. Me being one of them. Um, if you have somebody who is good at it and is a is a as a um, member of the industry, they know what they're talking about. So you should listen and and don't be afraid to pay. Like I said, if just ask if I pay this, what do I get in return? So you, as a businessman, it could be like, look, if I pay a dollar and I get ten dollars back, it's a good return um instead you know in my instance with various groups of people i just was like you're too expensive i can figure this out myself and i had there's no reason to reinvent this or reinvent the wheel sometimes it's cheap it's cheaper just to pay <laughs> yeah yeah well well that's it isn't it and, and i think it's trying to make those just those judgment calls isn't it with with you know different different pieces of information coming your way with different pieces of advice um and like say sometimes the old ways are the best ways. Sometimes they're not. It depends. <laughs> but it depends. It depends. You can it depends. learn from experience. I think surround yourself with the right people that can lift you up and fast track you if possible, right? And yeah, and oftentimes those those people are not the hit, hit crowd. Um, they seem a little fuddy duddy. Don't write them off because of that. Yeah. Never judge a book by its cover, right? <laughs> oh, we've got lots of but, lots especially when especially when the book has a big book of business inside of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> when it's a thesaurus of how to succeed in business, pay attention. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. So listen, Matthew, this podcast, as you know, is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. So what does that mean to you when you hear those words, either collectively or individually? What, what do you think of? What does it mean to you? I think of living your life with your viewpoint and your 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 personality i think that not being afraid to showcase what you can do or your ideas um and not being afraid to try to do it as a, a, for a living i mean there are so many talented people who have decided to not do their talent and they're miserable so be bold and brave and go out and you know showcase what you can do do what you can do and and be aware that there will be a market for it. Uh, don't be daring. Don't don't be afraid. 
Brilliant. I love that. Don't be afraid. Absolutely. No, that's um, dare to be different. Um, and uh, yeah, fantastic. So, so look at Matthew, uh, where's the, the best way for people to connect with you? Either they might want to buy one of your beautiful pieces, they might want to see you at an exhibition, they might want to become part of your team, or they might want to distribute your beautiful jewelry, you know. So, where can people connect with you? Well, um, IG, which is MCL Design, um, is, is one of the easiest ones. You can see what we've done in the past, celebrities that we've dressed new product um, in the stories. There's always information about um, where I am, what I'm doing. Uh, there is also shops on IG, so you can purchase directly off IG. Facebook also has a shop. Uh, so that's another uh, source of income, uh, source of um, places to buy uh, or learn information about the company. That is MCL by Matthew Campbell Lorenzo. And then, of course, mcldesign.net is our website. So those three things, people can get in touch with us. Um, they can see new product. They can ask for special orders. They can basically get any number of information about us there. Amazing. That's great. And what we'll do is we'll include all the details in the show notes. So if you're listening to this on the podcast or you're watching on YouTube, we'll put all those connections so that you can connect directly with Matthew and his team. And um, yeah, so if you are not already subscribing to Brave Bold Brilliant, please do so, people. And if you're not already following Matthew, please do so, because you're missing a treat. Uh, but it's been an absolute joy, Matt. It really has. Thank you so much. And good luck for today. I know you're busy setting up. So thank you for joining us. Yep. Well, thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed it. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.